This is the Life Therapy with Zeta podcast. I'm Zeta. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Ourselves. Today I am in conversation with Charlotte Hellerkant, one of Scandinavia's finest mezzo-soprano opera singers, also the founder of Opera Zone and a dear friend of mine. In our conversation today we explore travel inward travel and external travel and the power it has to shape and inform our lives. I hope you find this conversation as interesting and as joyful as we had in having it. Thank you for listening. Hello Lotta and welcome to Conversations with Ourselves. It's so good to see you on the screen. It's really lovely. Thank you for having me here. It's really lovely to see your face. Yes, behind me, I have um, I have paintings made from a really lovely person painter who um, traveled around in the Swedish archipelago in a small, 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 small rowing boat, which you could also put a small sail on, and he would uh, spend all year just traveling around on the different, many different islands here in the Swedish Stockholm archipelago, painting and drawing. He was a big fan of my partner's mother, who was an actress. So he gave her quite a few of these paintings because she was so beautiful, you see. What a wonderful story. (laughs) (laughs) And the archipelagos where you are are absolutely stunning. I have fond memories of the Christmas spent there with you. Yes, it was lovely. I just ran across some pictures of you being here. And do you remember also we took a sauna in the middle of the winter? It was ice cold and snow. And then you actually jumped into the cold water the way that you were kind of created. (laughs) Wearing a fox fur hat and nothing else. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You were sort of very, very naked with a a fox fur hat, I think I remember. It was quite the look. It was quite the look. And I have to say... Scandinavian Russian. Yeah, like a black Viking. <laughs> it was one of. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I always say that the only people who actually jump into this cold water of the, you know, the, um, the Baltic Sea in the middle of the winter are my guests that come from somewhere else. And I have a feeling. Either it is because my friends from somewhere else are very courageous and brave, or they just don't know better. (laughs) You don't think you have any influence over your friends? I don't know why I should have more influence over my, you know, foreign friends than my Swedish friends. But my Swedish friends are not as courageous as you were. You know, it's an interesting thing because I think one of the things about travel is that, I mean, the way I travel is if I'm not going to embrace the experience or some integral part of the experience of the culture and the country that I'm going to, then what's the point? I don't know if I'm courageous or just like, was probably at the time working through a bucket list of 
life experiences. I didn't realise that it would be literally quite a life experience that it proved to be. And, and some might say changing and definitely cheaper and safer than doing drugs. So why not? But um, I nice. do remember there was some a little bit of prodding from you. I think you, this yeah. is a, you, yes, there was. You, that. you told me a story before we went down there in the middle of the night, naked, that um, when you were a child, your father used to dunk you in the water, soak you down and dunk you back in the water. And I was like, wow. If a child can go through this experience and survive and live to tell the tale, then surely I, as an adult female, can do the same. I didn't do the soap down, and I think I only did one dunking. This is one thing that I really love about you, Zita, and I think it's one of the many aspects why um, I love our friendship, even if at this point we don't see each other so often. But I love the fact that you are so curious and I know we both share this curiosity and, and, um, and like you say, it's better to have these experiences than use drugs because they are, you know, in, and, and you also, the other thing I really love about you is that you've traveled a lot. You've lived in lots of different places. And I think this is another common denominator we have. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you agree that that these kind of things like travel and experiences, they are it's like one of those, um, do you know, like pinball machines, is that what they're called? Yeah, you know, yeah. where you like pull these stop things that have springs and then there's a little ball and yeah. it kind of goes boing, 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 back and forth, zigzag and stuff. Sometimes I think of life this way, you know, you just pull the thing and then you as this ball start bouncing from one side to another depending on what's kind of in your path do you know what I mean absolutely would you say that your life pinball machine has shaped you and taken you into surprising places yes and the only reason why I hesitate over answering that question because I was thinking about when did it start and was it that I had this need and this desire from a very early age to travel or have experiences. I mean, I remember being 11 and being absolutely certain that I needed to go to boarding school because the experience of living at home and going to the same school every day was too limiting for me. So I don't know how early it started, but the two are uh, in an integral part of who I am and the life experience that I want to have. And probably also something a little bit to do with being born and raised on an island that ultimately has certain limits. So I think I'm also naturally drawn to people who are curious because they've gone their curious path like you have and discovered gems that I don't know. And then you get this wonderful opportunity to, oh, and I discovered this and I found this and then I saw that. And I find that really rich and rewarding and life-affirming. What's powerful for me is with friends who I've met through travels like I did with you, there's this imprinted in my mind, this 
picture of when we met. And it's quite an unusual experience because it's on the broad walk of a tiny island in the middle of Stockholm at this long trestle table where everybody was dining on this wonderful midsummer meal. I mean, why go to the movies and read a book when that's your lived experience? And and to boot, you were an opera singer who knew how to sing one of my favourite arias. And that was, I I can never lose that. And that's really precious to me. So that's probably yeah. why I travel. Yeah. What about you? Because I sing your favourite aria. Yeah, and you're hot blonde. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Just like you're a hottie yourself. Um. Well, my travels, <clears throat> I love traveling, you know, and as an opera singer, many people ask, isn't it really tiresome and uh, frustrating to be away from home or, you know, not to see your friends and be in your house and your family and, and all this traveling itself? And I say, no, no, no. It's one of the things I really love about my job as an opera singer and and that is as a freelance of course because I've been able to uh, explore the world and there's so many different when you work uh, and travel uh, as an opera singer you sometimes you live in a place for like two months so you you're sort of a pseudo citizen uh, for a moment you know you you live in an apartment you get to know your block the near um, food shop the restaurants you maybe you buy a bicycle and you travel around so it's it's kind of like a hybrid between being a tourist and actually living there and for a moment you pretend that you belong there Um, and it's a really lovely way of of discovering the world yeah and I think another way that I get to travel is when I do shorter jobs like with orchestras then I'm gone for maybe at the most a week but if I have that extra time I always stay and I bring maybe a backpack and maybe some hiking boots and either I explore that area nearby or as I have lately when I've been working in Asia and Australia New Zealand a lot I stay so, you know, I lock up all my fancy concert dresses in, in storage at the airport. And then I just take my hiking boots and my backpack and I go to Vietnam for two weeks and trek around or, you know, it's so that's, I think I feel extremely lucky and privileged in um, getting to do that. You know, so many other people who who travel in their work, they just go for the day or for two days and it's just in out and that's it. Yeah. And they don't really ever get to see the world. You know, maybe they have a conference in a hotel by the airport. (laughs) So it doesn't really matter that they've actually crossed borders. Yeah. I I mean, I can't imagine that as an experience of going literally from a airport into an air-conditioned hotel in an air-conditioned car and then back again and check you've been to that place. So given that we're both 
fond of traveling. Um, and, and also, well, similarly, it was both uh, supported by work for me when I was in fashion. There was lots of travel involved, which was fantastic. I wonder how you're finding it in um, lockdown, the restrictions on travel. Have oh. they changed things for you or do you right. supplement it in other ways? Because I know work must have changed that. Yeah. Well, of course, at, at this time, I'm not finding it at all, actually, except that I get to sit like this with you and look at you over Zoom while <laughs> he's talking about interesting things, yeah. reminisce. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, you can say that one of the things I always used to kind of joke about when it comes to travel, I, I used to say, you know, go abroad and discover your own home. So uh, it's also kind of a pleasure to to be stuck here, so to speak, you know, to to have time to be here on the island in the archipelago, to have time to walk around Stockholm and discover, have that extra time to discover a lot of things. If one is to look at it in a more positive way, I think a lot of us are traveling inwards in a way. And also I think our um, topics of conversation between people have maybe also slightly changed because we have had to reflect on quite a new new parameters uh, globally and I find that to be actually quite interesting and, and maybe useful do you have any thoughts of that what have you discovered well I've discovered that um, perhaps my travel was inspired by food so <laughs> I've started to be a lot more creative in the dishes that I cook and then this was a funny thing last yeah. night. Um, so my partner, he knows that I love pickled gherkins. And he had just picked up a jar from the local shop. So in my hunt for gherkins, I see this huge jar in the cupboard and I go and I'm just like so excited. I just open them up and I take one, I put it in my mouth. And I'm like, ooh, that's weird. And I looked at the label, it's gherkins, but they're from Lebanon. And so I had discovered that actually Lebanese pickle their gherkins in a slightly different way. They're a lot more salty, but because I have been sort of perhaps conditioned or programmed for a Northern European Jewish pickle, I was expecting that kind of sweetness with a little bit of uh, coriander and some mustard seeds and a different flavour. And I was like, wow, actually just in my own kitchen cupboard, I can be transported through the sensation of taste and start to feel like, what is it about that culture that the saltiness of food was more prevalent than the sweetness? And that was, in a way, took me into an imaginary world of the history of the different cultures and what influences the way food is flavoured or presented or or what tastes are more significant to certain parts. So I, I guess I've sort of been traveling in that way with food and that's, um, yeah. But I do miss the, uh, there's something very palpable of the plane touching 
down in a new country or a place that I love and I'm returning to. There's something, I don't know what it is, but I can literally almost feel my heart sing. And I miss that. And I trust it will come back one day in some way that I'll probably appreciate it all the more for having been uh, temporarily denied it. Yeah, all these discoveries of things that you kind of took for granted before, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, which you haven't had available, makes you really enjoy it. I mean, I've I've always been a person who tried to remind myself that I do enjoy something and and try never take anything for granted. But nevertheless, it's it's. Um, because I did fly last week, even within Sweden, uh-huh. because I had to go for a job interview. And I love flying. I'm. This is where me and the environmental consciousness kind of go separate ways. So I'm looking for environmentally friendly airplanes because I love flying. And it's, it's not only the pressure against the seat as it takes off or the landing in a new country, but even getting up above the clouds and seeing Mm -hmm. these fantastic cloudscapes, which has formations just like the face of earth, the surface of earth has. And then I left such a big, fatty, greasy imprint on my window on the airplane because I was sitting pressing my face against the window just to get sun. You know, for one hour flight, I was just looking straight into the sun, Mm. drinking the sun because here in Sweden, it's completely gray all the time and the days are really short so yes, all these things of, um, and you know, also as an opera singer, speaking of little things, you would think as a musician that I almost would take music for granted. And the few times lately where I've experienced somebody performing something live, uh, even I went to a modern dance concert just as a, a dress rehearsal, I was dissolved I was so moved and I I haven't really been able to pinpoint what it is in the live experience what it is between people this kind of is it an energy because it's not that you know some people they go to concerts and things just to hang out with other people and feel the presence of other in the audience that sort of a collective experience but I was sitting basically by myself listening to live music it was Beethoven Moonlight Sonata or when I went to see the modern dancer I was basically by myself in the audience and just to have this experience and I'm not quite sure what it is it's this corona lockdown thing has made me become aware of it in a way that uh it's like something that's really difficult to understand. It's like a transfer of energy in the live moment between mm-hmm. people and also the abstraction of the art, of the communication. It's not words. It's on a, an emotional level. I don't know. What do you think? What, what is it? 
you who know so much about emotion and hearts and well stuff. we it, it's the, the way I best understand it is you know when you know someone's staring at you you feel it and you look and then they look yes. away and pretend they haven't been so that is something that unites and connects us all that that knowing of the felt senses that you don't even have to be looking to know that you are someone is making contact with you and it's visceral and it's it's i think life affirming i mean people who spend long periods of time in isolation without any contact with other human beings deteriorate very rapidly it's it supports us because we are as human beings, we have that need for contact and for experience. And it's different for all of us, but it's always pretty much connected to contact with people or other living things, be it in nature with trees or birds or whatever it is. It's, um, there's this invisible atmosphere that exists and is created by us and created by all living things. We're we're interconnected and interdependent. I think we're only really starting to grasp what it really means now that we're sort of in this strange limbo perspective. And we're, some of us who are aware are mildly horrified by what is being asked of us. And some are kind of not really in awareness because some, I think, can get it through the phone, through the Instagram. But I notice even with kids, they, after 15 minutes or so, they want to have a hug. They want to have that touch. They want to go out and kick a ball. They want to feel life. That's how it seems to me. But the other thing is, I was listening to you, what I realised that was been challenging about the absence of travel is when you are descended of migrants, you have kind of multiple belongings. So I was born here, I am British, but my mother is not from here and the heart or the pulse of my family to me is somewhere else. And it's going back to my mother's island, Barbados, is not really something I take for granted. It's, it's, It's almost essential to my well-being mentally and emotionally to check in with that place where my mother was born where she came from and what informed her and I really have a sense of grief of missing that Hmm. so there are multiple experiences and um, the the effects of everybody is, is is different you know for some luxury, travel is luxury, which I've had the good fortune to have that as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a whole world. But that's, a, that's also an interesting. Yeah. It's also an interesting observation. I think as you know, as we continue in our journeys in life, is um, this phenomenon of I call them. Um, charging stations yeah you know that that everybody has a place or a, or a space uh, where they completely can just release relax 
it's almost like you have invisible tentacles or invisible roots that go straight down into that place or that space and you just release everything and you recharge yeah and often it is some kind of home or for you it sounds like it's Barbados one of the places I imagine when I need to really just let go completely is this island that I'm on now when as soon as I get into the boat and I start driving the boat across the waters there's something in my soul my whole being that just goes woof Mm. and it lands that's one of the things that um, that I often talk about when I because I do some mental coaching as you know with classical musicians and and we talk about the space and where it might be for that person. It might not even be a where, it might be a what, it might be a smell, a sensation, a, a temperature in the room or or a song, I don't know what it is, but it, it's like um, this little charging station. You know, it's like where you put your iPhone, woof, in the that yeah. and you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and it's different for yeah and that sounds like for yeah absolutely there's there's something about a certain um a, a little beach and there are no hotels on it and the water is crystal clear and i can literally walk into that water and stay standing in it for six hours and be like everything suddenly becomes completely okay. In fact, it's almost a little bit like that sort of Truman show thing. This is the world. This is everything. Everything I want to need is right here. What is the sensation when you're standing there in this clear blue water on this uninhabited beach is it can you feel it physically in your body can you feel it in your mind can you feel it in your heart can you describe the sensations yeah an image comes to my mind of all the women who came before me who lived on that island and they are singing and dancing and it's like a battery charging it's like from like you say, from the feet up and from the heart, everything just becomes really expansive as if I am beyond just my physical body. It's life-affirming. But that particular image, and almost as if I can hear them singing, dancing and clapping, saying she's here and we are going to lift her up and give her all our love and support. That's gorgeous. That's really beautiful. Do you know, I had a, um, during one of my travels, and this wasn't as a singer, but I was 18, and I went with my boyfriend to Kenya, and we were on the Gold Coast, uh, south of Mombasa, and we stayed in this, you know, we had no money, so we stayed in a little hut at the end of a very, very sort of primitive road. And I went out walking on the beach, and there were no people, nothing around. And I was singing, 
I think I was singing Swedish uh, uh, folk songs. Mm-hmm. So I was walking, you know, on the edge of the water on the beach. And then I see a woman coming toward me from the, you know, south of me. And, and she heard me singing. And then she started to sing a song that sounded kind of like hers, uh, like mine, like my Swedish folk song. And of course, we couldn't communicate with each other because we had no language we shared. But we kept on singing songs to each other. And, you know, and they reminded, they were reminding of each other. And it was very interesting. And then after a while, you know, we walked around on this beach just singing songs for each other. And then after a while, I think her husband came and they brought me into the forest, which had, you know, coconut trees and stuff. And then he climbed up into a tree and he got a coconut. And then they offered me coconut. And I think he could speak a little bit of, of English. So then they invited me and my boyfriend for dinner that evening. And so they came and got us at the hut uh, in the evening, because that was uh, what, you know, sort of the, the rules of their tribe, that you have to be responsible for your guests. So you, they came and got us, and then we went back, and they made bread for us over an open fire and on rocks, you know, they kind of flattened it, and they learned how to make bread. And then they had taken one of the chickens, which I had met earlier, and um, kind of chopped the head off it and made dinner for us. Uh, And we had a fantastic time. Of course, not much conversation, but it's, it's wonderful when you just know that there is no language, there is no conversation. And I, to me, it is amazing how much you can, can communicate no matter what. Yeah. And I've had that experience in many times when I've been out traveling, you know, when I was in, I think it was Burma, I was staying also in a small village somewhere and, and I spent the evening getting drunk on some horridly strong <laughs> alcohol <laughs> with kind of the man of the, of the village and the person whose house I was a guest of. And we had we couldn't speak, but we had a wonderful time. And I don't really know how exactly how you communicate, but maybe that goes back to what we were talking about before, this kind of the sharing, the fact that we all are interwoven, that there's an energy and that you can make jokes even if you don't really speak a language and you know, and the playfulness, the communication, you become inventive, you you listen, but you listen more to body language, mm. languages of the eye. I don't know. But, but so you're a little, sorry, that was a long, long tale. No. Which it was brought a, us from Barbados. No, singing and the dancing and the, and, and yeah, and this collective energy that surrounds us and, and fills us and lifts us. Well, there are many things in that beautiful story you said that lit things up and the first was that the place that you went to has the same name as the place that I had described the Gold Coast 
Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, oh, no, I've been there. There's a third Gold Coast, because I know in West Africa there's a Gold Coast, and in Barbados there's a Gold Coast. Yeah. And now it turns out there's a Gold Coast on um, in Kenya, uh, close to Mombasa. And then I was reminded of, and it was years ago that I read this, whilst I was actually living in Sweden, I was fascinated by the physique of Swedes. I was like, it's so familiar, and I can't understand why. And then one day I was looking back through some travel photographs, and I said, like, they're like the Massa. And I was like, you know what, anything is ah. possible. And I found yeah. this study, I don't have it still, but Swedes are genetically most similar to East Africans more than any other group. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. It I is. knew I had it in me. I always had a feeling you had it in you. That curiosity, first migration out of Africa thousands and thousands of years ago, they end up in Sweden and here you are. Here I am. Having a chat. And, Absolutely. And that bit when you talked about the singing your song and the similarity, that was just like, oh, the things that we don't know about the people who came before us. And we can pretend, I mean, I've got quite an active imagination that we can perhaps run into a distant cousin who we don't even have shared language with without even realising. Once we remove the concept of colour and what people who are related to us should look like, it's like we feel something. We feel a certain comfort or uh, ease around certain strangers more so than others and I that's I find to be a really beautiful thing it adds another dimension and another layer to the experience of traveling and I had heard it said once many years ago whilst I was on a train traveling through southern Germany that um because this woman had asked me what I was doing there. And, uh, and she said to me, I've heard it said that we have a desire to retrace our ancestors' footsteps. Yeah, it seems like so many of us um, have a need of some kind of anchoring into ancestry or history or, you know, kind of a belonging in a sense, or not just belonging, but also maybe explanations to how things are. Yeah. We don't know. Connection. I mean, it it feels to me like, you know, sort of how we were talking earlier about how uh, COVID life has shifted things and perhaps we are more aware of it. Actually, we were already quite isolated in our living even before COVID introduced social distancing because, you know, we've created this spectacular modern world, but we are more isolated than, you know, in pre-revolutionary modern evolution times where we kind of lived in these smaller units with perhaps 150 people that we knew reasonably well. And there was uh, more contact on a daily basis with people that you knew. Most of us are used to having now contact outside of our immediate home and family with strangers. So I can appreciate that there is some 
need perhaps we don't fully understand for finding places like you and I have described where we just feel at home for that period of time that we're there or the experience Mm. of going there as if I don't know something's drawing us or we feel connected to it in some way that we don't really understand I'm quite comfortable with the unknowns and the unknowables without going into woo-woo I'm just like anything's possible and um (laughs) isn't it isn't it ironic how um how today we have the ability, if, if we look outside corona, lockdown and stuff like that, many of us are really enjoying the aspect of, of being able to be anonymous. You know, we move to bigger cities so that we can be more anonymous at the same time as we also seek a togetherness or a connection. Um, I find that to be kind of interesting how do you think that this I mean in your work because you're working with systemic family constellations and and because that's all about isn't it all about how we are connected and how we are affected by that yeah absolutely and quite often you know um, we'll see that the trauma is from experienced by people who've left their country you know, uh, it's very rare for anybody to say, you know what, it's going so well in this country that I live in. Life is beautiful. Let me transport myself to the other side of the world or somewhere else. Usually people leave because something's not so great. <laughs> so there is already built in a traumatic experience with the journey moving to the city to be anonymous is I don't want to know any of those people in Kentucky they were awful to me it's not because (laughs) 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 and we have this wonderful shield of denial that yes I'm going to better my life and that does happen on one level but there is also something else that happens in terms of the place that we belong to as in the piece of land that we were born on that provided the food that fed us and the education that educated us and the doctors and the nurses who supported our health and well-being they've all played a part in supporting our life and if we try to sort of cut that off and go oh it doesn't matter it doesn't exist we're sort of actually trying to separate ourselves from the plant part in which the plant was seeded and raised and in right. one sense, it, it works intellectually, but the, uh, the body has a memory of what's important. But don't you, think, don't you think also just like we are affected by everything that happened early on in our lives, um, that we also keep on being affected by every meeting, every piece of puzzle during our journey in life, every experience? Yeah. So it's not just the initials, but... Yeah, yeah. well, from the... Um, even before we're born, we are uh, impacted by all of those experiences, the thoughts and feelings of our mothers while she's carrying us, right through to each interaction. Certain interactions will have a more profound impact than others, depending on the closeness to us and the importance. So 
mother in the, as some people say, the cliched way, why wouldn't she be the most powerful influence on our lives? And then father, siblings, teachers, priests, vicars, rabbis, um, imams, all of these stages and when they appear, sort of almost like um, an ongoing series of events that each one takes us and each person has in some way connected us to the next thing because of maybe something they said or did that inspired us to go, oh, now I'm going to go right instead of left and so on and so forth. So they all are significant. They are all kind of supporting who we are to a greater or lesser degree. So, yeah. That's yes. quite a wonderful thing. Yes, <clears throat> and complicated and complex at the same time. Yeah, if we think that our body is a system, our family is a system, our country, our culture, our religion, these are all systems. We belong to many different systems and sometimes they can even be in conflict with each other. I know, for example, if I'm loyal to my family and the rules of that tribe, I might be doing some harm to another group, but I've got to hold that um, conflict or that tension. So, yeah, they are complex and belonging is complex in many ways. Where do we belong? Who or what do we belong to? I think in my own life, I'm extremely happy that I had to move away from Sweden when I was 17 or 18. I am eternally happy for that because I think I would have been completely different as a person today if I hadn't. Because my whole family moved to America when, when I was in the gymnasium age, you know, like 17, 18 years old. Yeah. And we were supposed to come back, but I never came back because I went to universities and conservatories and I was married to an American man for a moment, <laughs> for, a, for a little while. And then, uh, of course, I traveled around the world singing everywhere. And, you know, if before I moved to America, I was studying history. And I think the thing I probably saw myself becoming was like a librarian. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being a librarian specializing in history. But for some people, that's perfect. I think also this is another thing that I, I think you're saying is that everybody's different and we all have different needs. Some people have needs of being in the same place most of the time. Some people have the need of routines. Some people make discoveries and they're curious in the little aspects of life, daily life. And it doesn't have to be world changing or, you know, you don't have to sit and get drunk with the shaman in Vietnam, you know, in a rickety house somewhere. So we have all different degrees of this experiences and curiosity but I'm really happy that I didn't stay in that little town in Sweden studying history and I don't know how people I look around and I say how how were you able to break loose from that context and develop and be open and I don't believe in changing. I think one develops. 
I believe yeah. that instead of change, you have these sets of different uh, characteristics in you yourself as a person and either some aspects are latent, others are more dominant and then depending on how you move in the world and life, sides, you know, characteristics of you um, start to bloom, blossom, develop. Other sides kind of become more latent, more dormant. So sometimes I look around at my friends who never moved away and I go, wow, how did you manage to bloom like that yeah. in this rather quiet setting? I, I think it's extraordinary how how we bloom, how each individual, of course, managed yeah. to bloom in their setting. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... I remember feeling that the same way when I was living in New York and I first came back to London and I looked at my friends and I was like, gosh, so you, you found a way to make it work by staying in a way that I didn't feel that I could. And that it's, it's, it's wonderful to have that appreciation. And again, I think it's something that really comes from traveling. I remember having this moment in New York and I was like, Oh my God, there are so many different ways to live this life. It doesn't just have to be how it was done in NW3 in the 1970s, which was, <laughs> it was such an extraordinary moment. And it was, um, it was really liberating. You can do it your way and that's right for you. And I can do it my way and it's right for me. And perhaps, you know, yeah. also this, this little bits of loyalty. Both my parents left their homes and came to England. It would make sense that I would follow them by leaving England and going somewhere else. And I remember my dad looking at me and he's yeah. like, I can't imagine how you had the courage to go to America. When you got to the airport, what did you do? And I looked at him and I said, well, what did you do? <laughs> In the 1960s, when you got to England and got to the airport, he said, yeah. oh, yes, I got a taxi. Yeah. I said, there you go. Nothing's changed. <laughs> no, I mean, this thing about, you know, when something is so far away, it becomes almost insurmountable. And but actually, it's just you land and you take a taxi yeah. <laughs> or, you know, it's, it's kind of similar in so many parts of the world. You know, it's just little things methodical and it's not insurmountable. No. I mean, I have to say though, that shortly after that, I, um, we traveled to his country, which is Uganda. And there's a, a road, which is quite modern and new. And it dawned on me as we were on this eight and a half hour car ride journey that, of course, when he was coming, he would have walked that journey. There was no road. Yeah. And he would have walked it in the presence of leopards, lions, elephants, snakes, tigers. And I thought, taking a plane is a walk in the park compared to that walk which is, you know, the equivalent 
more or less of London to Scotland. And it's like three boys, teenagers, walking that. That to me is mind-blowing and it's incredible. So it is fascinating, these journeys that people take or go on to arrive somewhere else. And it can be in the same village or they can cross the planet a gazillion times. That's extraordinary. Going back to this aspect of courage and being brave. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to do it. And it has, it's not a matter of courage or being brave. No. It's the only thing you can do. Yeah, which I find fascinating. What is that drive? Well, we probably will never know, but I, I'm intrigued by that drive that has fear attached to it. And someone says, I'm going to overcome the fear and do it anyway. I have a deep admiration for that in whatever context. For some people, it's going to be under the road. So in your context, in your your family, knowing that your father did this, is that inspiring? Uh, Has that given you special courage? I mean, I can't relate to that. I don't have anybody in my near family who did anything like that. But has that given you something other than admiration for your father and people like him? I don't know if it's given me a special courage. It gave me a deeper understanding in that he thought that what I had accomplished was extraordinary, despite the fact that what he had overcome was, to me, mind-blowing. It gave me that recognition that, or a reminder that we are what kind of, in many ways, see things from our own perspective. Then we look at somebody else's and we go, wow, that's incredible. And it's incredible because it, I don't think I can do what you've done. And it's, it's similar because it's sort of what you were saying about the friend who blooms by staying close to home. It's incredible because... It was not your choice and it was something you thought that you couldn't do or didn't want to do. And there they are, they've done it. And that's the the the, right. the, the specialness in the beauty of difference, that everybody exists, as I see it, for a reason, has their experience that is ideal for them and whatever they're destined. And on the other hand... I could imagine the fact that you have parents who have crossed seas and and did walk a long path surrounded by leopards and scary snakes and things. Probably somewhere in the back of your mind unconsciously you think that anything might anything is possible. What do you think? Maybe that's given you also the But I had that thought before I heard the story. I I remember being literally being five and saying to my mother, anything is possible. And she said, are you sure? And I said, yes. (laughs) And and that's maybe why I have this sort of intrigue and fascination with 
all that is beyond what we can know or ever know. It's, I appreciate mystery. I appreciate the mysterious. I don't feel the need to understand it, but it does inspire me to travel or read or engage with somebody who is seemingly very different to myself. Do you think that a lot of people, a lot of people think that anything is possible? No, I don't think they should either. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, you know, it's like, it's like the old pirates map, you know, and they had that thing and there was this line and it says, and there will be dragons. If you go past this point, you're going to encounter yeah. dragons. <laughs> and some people had the desire to go and encounter dragons and they would bring back stories for the people who stayed. And the people who stayed mined the yeah. shop, swept the streets and made it okay for them to come back. Therefore, everybody <laughs> has a place. If everybody goes off, yeah. who's going to mind the shop? <laughs> <laughs> but then again, there are these people, these, I shouldn't say these, there are people who, um, I, I've been running this um, workshop for uh, people who dream of singing opera, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe at some point they studied or they're really active in the choruses. So the whole idea about the scenic workshop are for people who stand there singing in choruses, you know, holding their their um, music in front of them, but they never get to move around. They never get to act and, and uh, you know, identify with the role of an operatic person. Life and death is often, you know, <laughs> very much opera. Um, so I did this workshop and we had f- six really lovely people. And the primary thing for each one of them wasn't necessarily just to sing, but it was to allow themselves to sing and to act. It was the biggest thing that happened. them. And one of them, she said, you know, I started singing professionally when I was young, but I gave it up. And now here I am, you know, 30 years later, whatever, and I finally get to just take my place. I get to sing and you are listening to me. I am given, I'm allowed to stand here and just sing, to hear my own voice. And another person was, it was very difficult for her to start acting because there were so many shouldn'ts. Mm. you know, in the way of uh, standing tall, standing very collected. Uh, you shouldn't do this or that. You shouldn't sing too loud. You shouldn't move around. You shouldn't throw yourself on the floor whilst you are singing and and uh, expressing something, a role. So, yes, there are those people who don't go for the dragons, uh, and they stay in the village and take care of. But some some of the people in the village kind of look longingly over at that uh, unknown area of the dragons, of the mystery, of the adventure. So I guess somebody like you might kind of pull these different things out of people that you have the great fortune of talking to. The ones that maybe, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, 
you know, earlier we were talking about this loyalty and, and, and love. So we have, for example, two parents. One parent is bold and outgoing, one parent is quiet. And as we're growing up, we go, well, who am I going to be most loyal to on this or on that? And maybe we have a loyalty to this parent who's a bit more quiet and we keep ourselves quiet. And then we're like, actually, I want to draw on, as you say, this other hat that I also have available to me. And so they can shift the loyalty and say, now I'm going to do this. So it is a constant interplay. And usually when it starts to nudge us, we say, okay, now it's time to do something about it. Now I'm going to find someone or find some situation that starts me on this process or on this journey. And it, it, it's, it's kind of a bit like, uh, you know, life itself. We have to fight to come into life, unless let's say we've been born by a C-section and the doctor just plucks us out. But from then on, the things we want are informed by this, I want more of life, I want more of life, I want to take more of this, I want to have this experience, and are informed by a tipping point, am I more frightened of having it or not having it? And when the balance shifts, people will find a way to do it and they will not give up. And uh, actually, you can see it very clearly when you say, no, you can't have it. Well, they fight for it. Hmm. So everybody is different. And I, I kind of think, I'm kind of of the, and not many people agree, I'm of the belief we are born with a certain fate. We're born in the country. We're born into a certain body. We have certain parents. None of that we can change. We're beyond our control. But as we grow up and come into ourselves, we can determine our future. We can decide what we want. We can look at, oh, I have this and I have this and I've got this. And, oh, there's that. But I might keep that in reserve for when I really need to go for the big guns. I know I can, I've got it in me to face down leopards and lions and what have you in the dark. So there's power in what we've kind of been given to help us determine what we want. And it may change, you know, the ones who went out and crossed the thing to see the dragons might come back and say, all right, I'm never going anywhere again. Fair enough. And vice versa. That's what I think I mean really when I say, nor should they. Everybody's got a choice, which is theirs. And sometimes yeah. in school we the, are pushed. Right. You said we are pushed sometimes, sorry. Yeah, I was in a school, for example, that I didn't feel was pushing me or stretching me enough. And I it was like I knew that that was what I wanted and needed, not necessarily consciously at the time that I know it, but I felt that I needed it and I wanted it. So I reached out to grab it. And I, from day one, they were like, right, you, we work hard in this school. And I was like, great. I'm ready. Mm. We find what calls us, I think, as well. Do you think one thing that I'm fascinated by at the moment, because I've in my mental coaching I've done with a few people, I find that a lot of people, of course, you know, we're seeking what we call happiness or being content or being stimulated or challenged but a lot of people 
haven't really found the uh, the tools or how or figured out how he or she can find these little pieces of stimulations that make us go. Uh, instead, we think that it should come to us or we are we are bored or we are understimulated. So we don't really know what it is that makes us tick, you know, what gives us that little zzzt within our bodies and minds. Um, and I don't, I find that really interesting. How does one find these tools that make us tick? You know, that day when you're feeling kind of a bit low or down, how do we give that to each other? How do we give it to our children? How do we give it to our friends? The insight of what what can they do to maybe get out of bed that morning, even though it seems kind of sad, you know, or gray or apathetic or boring? Because some people in in the need of trying to find this stimulation uh, they might walk a different path. I listened to big, a big reportage about ISIS, for example, and all the, the young men and women who went there to Daesh or ISIS. And, and a lot of people, they didn't even um, condone the beliefs of ISIS, but they went there because they needed a, a togetherness, a collective a connection. Uh, they needed excitement, adventure, and didn't really realize what they were joining. Or some people, they start taking drugs or they um, start to harm themselves or get into not such good situations that are self-destructive in a sense. So the fine line between what is a positive stimulus and what is uh, destructive or and how do we find the, the good stuff you know, it's a huge question I'm asking, but I'm super interested in it at the moment. How I look at it in my approach to work is systemic. You know, we had said earlier about the uh, born into systems, the body, the family, the culture, and the way the systemic perspective is looking at is what has informed this individual who or what are they loyal to in this particular way of behaving? What is it serving? Because we are by nature about community and contact and connection. So we do things rightly or wrongly that keep us in connection with something that matters, whether it's the parents, the family, the tribe, the clan, the country. All of these are pulling us at different times in different ways. And you've given a number of different examples of which there are numerous reasons why these things happen. And often we will find that it's in the, the answers or the solutions are in the parents' generation or the grandparents' generation or the history. So there are some things that are generally kind of known givens, like Addiction will often be because in some way the men were absent. We see that a lot in England, drinking beer. And then we have a history where a lot of men went to war and didn't come back. 
and as a country, less so now, the children don't need to say it anymore, but English people were renowned for saying sorry. We said sorry because we were sorry for the history of our empire. Depression, for example, or not or apathy towards life can also be informed by a number of different things. So what I generally tend to say is, as humans, we're pretty intelligent. No matter what your grades in school are, there is an intelligence that we all have. And it's connecting with that intelligence, which is about being really honest and true. So if you're feeling down, if you ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? Yourself will answer. It may not answer immediately, but within an hour to three days, you will get an answer. I need this. I want that. It's the most of the difficulties. We don't listen to that inner voice. We tune it off or we turn it out with external things to distract us so that we don't feel the discomfort. And the only difference between happy people and unhappy people is happy people have learned to live with the discomfort and not be frightened of it because it has an arc. You won't cry forever, especially if you keep your eyes open. You won't feel depressed forever, especially if you say, I'm feeling depressed and all I can do today is stay under the duvet. Because trust me, at some point you've got to go, I need food or I need something. Nobody's depressed 24-7. So it's in the, the very minimum we can do for ourselves, which can also actually turn out to be the maximum, is to just say, what do I want? What do I need? Why am I not feeling the way I want to feel? What do I need to do to change the way I feel naturally? And it's very rare that you're heart place, which is what I've worked from, is going to say, do drugs, drink alcohol. <laughs> that may be... Sorry, I didn't hear you. It, it'd be unusual for a comfortable resolution to come from yourself that says, do drugs or drink alcohol. That is really more oh. a response for trying to not listen to the true me, which is, I need a hug. I need to speak to my mother, even though I haven't spoken to her for 40 years. I need to respect that my dad, however he was, was a good person. That was the best that they can do. That settles something. That was a very long answer to the big question. But um, It's a fabulous answer. Thank you. I know we've been talking a long time and I, I could sit like this forever. I know. Uh, but I guess not should. everyone can sit like this forever with us. <laughs> so, um, I have a lot of questions for you because we have sort of reversed this pod a little bit where I get to ask many questions rather than you asking me <laughs> questions. And I think it's wonderful. And, and one of the reasons for this is because I was thinking, you know, your listeners, they might not know a lot about you because you're always asking a lot about other people. So I thought this was really wonderful for them to hear a little bit more about you. So my last question is, does your father still have that cow for me? He's got 23 cows for you now. 
But do you remember that he gave me a cow? Yes, I do remember. And, you know, it was a Watutsi cow, which are, they're absolutely stunningly beautiful. Did you, did you see the photograph of the cow that he had here? Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. And, and is my cow doing okay? Your cow is doing very well. It is in a beautiful par- uh, pasture in the Nyonyatabi Valley of southwestern Uganda, about 15 miles from Kabali ah. and about 23 miles from Lake Bumunyi. Ah. <laughs> and I hope one ah, day gorgeous. perhaps we will get our trekking boots and I would love to take you there because I think out of the many people I know, you are someone who would really appreciate the magnificence. I would love to have our trekking boots on and explore that part. And I would love to stand in the water with you on that beach in Barbados one day. Fantastic. So I would love to continue this traveling with you, not just inwards, but actually geographically on our beautiful planet. I look forward to it. Thank you for your lovely questions, Lotta, and thank you for being here. We've really enjoyed having you today. It's been wonderful. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Conversations with Ourselves. I would love to hear what your thoughts are on this conversation. What have you learned? What have you discovered? Don't forget to subscribe. And please feel free to get in touch.